following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, please. And we're going to start a new chapter in Matthew's Gospel, and that is chapter 10. So if you would make your way there to the first book in your New Testament, the 10th chapter. Things are going to change a little bit here in the 10th chapter compared to what they were before. A little bit of focus on John the Baptist uh, after the birth narrative in chapters 1 and 2, and then uh, focus on the ministry of Christ, specifically his preaching and teaching, his miracle worker status, as it were, uh, authenticating his ministry, doing all kinds of um, of things, forgiving sin and uh, controlling nature and uh, raising people from the dead, casting out demons, uh, healing lepers and blind and mute and so many other things that were not recorded, uh, but just one right after the other. Um, we come now to chapter 10, and the Lord is going to expand the scope of his ministry by enlisting some assistance by, uh, if you will, delegating some work. And as the Lord was in a human body, he could not be in more than one place at one time. And so, like all of us, uh, we must have help to be uh, able to reach to more ministry opportunities. And so, in chapter 10, it says this, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Uh, This passage of Scripture is often uh, thought of as a commissioning chapter, a commissioning of the disciples. And I want you to uh, be okay with that, but also be cautioned that we're not talking about the Great Commission here. This is not the Great Commission. It's an entirely different thing altogether, and this will become clear as we carefully read the text. But there is a mission here for the disciples, the 12 apostles. It's just different than the one they get later on in chapter 28. And it begins in a way that we certainly don't experience in this age. The Lord Jesus has not given us power over unclean spirits to cast them out or to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So there's one big difference right there. But he did do that for these disciples at the time. And notice it's called out here in two different headings, if you will. One is power over the unclean spirits which includes casting them out. And then the second is to heal all kinds of sickness and disease. To what extent did they heal all kinds of sickness and disease? Well, uh, look at verse number 8. Look at verse 8. It says, this is now in the specific wording of the command of the Lord to these disciples, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, And here's the extent to which they were able to cure illnesses and disease. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So they could heal even to the point of calling back a spirit from the afterlife, if you will, to come back to the body and have someone rise again from the dead. 
Now, for me, it's hard to imagine how this looked, this delegation of supernatural power. Can you imagine if you were on the receiving end of this from the Lord? What does it feel like? What did it look like? Uh, how could they suddenly have the authority to fix people's illnesses and call back spirits from the afterlife and cast out demons? Well, it wasn't a physical capacity, right? It was a spiritual capacity. So it didn't change their physical constitution at all. It was in a connection between their spirit, their relationship with God, their faith. I, it's hard to kind of figure out how this would have been inside of them. How, how would they have known, now is the time for me to reach out and touch this person that they would be healed, or this person maybe I'm not going to be able to, or I'm not supposed to heal them, or I'm supposed to raise this person from the dead but not this one, or, or all of them that I can get to. It's just it's kind of mysterious, isn't it? Yes. And so... It's a miracle. It's a supernatural thing, so we can't answer all of these questions from our perspective with somewhat of a natural limitation that we have. But this power is given to them in verse 1. And then, secondly, we see the disciples are named specifically. Now, some of these already we have seen when uh, the Lord called them out and you can kind of reconstruct this from the other Gospels as well. But here's the list. He says now, or uh, Matthew does, list them. Now, the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labias, whose surname was Thaddeus. Now, that's interesting. So here we have a man's first and last name, which is not the normal pattern in the rest of the book. So his name was Labius Thaddeus. That's a mouthful there uh, for those of you looking to name children here upcoming, maybe. I have an idea there or two. Uh, verse 4, Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, what I did in my notes was I took, and I'm sure you can't see this from where you are, but I created a table uh, from a prior study in which I put the list of the disciples in the Matthew column, and then I made one for Mark and Luke and John and the book of Acts as well, as much as I could fill in from those books. And we have Simon Peter across the top every time. Then you have Andrew and uh, James, uh, the son of Zebedee, and then John, also uh, the son of Zebedee. And these uh, guys, as you might remember, were uh, brothers, James and John, and they were called by this funny word, Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. They were, um, I guess, I don't know if I could say loud, but uh, they were raucous at times. Uh, they wanted to call fire down or do other things. Um, wanted preeminent places in the kingdom and so on. Um, and then you have, um, well, uh, John, who is not named in the Gospel of John, but he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. You're familiar with that, I hope. 
the disciple whom Jesus loved. Okay, we go on then to the next segment of these. Uh, remember, Peter, James, and uh, John were often in the inner circle. Uh, and then we have Philip, who is listed across uh, in, in all the passages. Philip's name is there. And then you have Bartholomew. But in John's gospel, Bartholomew doesn't appear. There's another fellow who appears, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. And I don't know if he's the same person or not. Some of these men had two names, another one coming up here. There was Thomas. And let me, let me back up for a second. We have Philip, who is the city of Bethsaida. Um, and then we had... Uh, I mentioned Thomas. Now, Thomas is an interesting fellow because he was called by another strange name, Didymus. And you can probably remember that by the prefix D-I, two. He is a twin. So there was a fellow that uh, looked just like him but was not him, Thomas, the twin. Um, and then you have Matthew is next on the list. And Matthew's other name was... Heard somebody say Levi, did I? Yep, so you have a Hebrew name and you have a Greek name uh, for the same person. You might think, well, Matthew and Levi, they don't like rhyme or anything like that. Uh, we had two men working at our home today uh, who are of Hispanic background, one from Mexico, one from Cuba. And uh, so I spoke a little bit of Spanish with them. Jansen, he should have been there. He could practice. Uh, and... Uh, it was uh, just a little bit, and they had enough. The one is very good in English, and the other one I spoke to is a believer, uh, very little English. But he, he worked at it, and uh, I worked at it and used some Spanish and, uh, and so on. But I told them my, uh, my Spanish name is Mateo, which is very similar to Matt or Matthew. So that's a nice and easy connection. But Levi and Matthew, that seems a little strange, but they are the same one and the same person. Um, uh, let us see here. Who else do we have? Oh, a tax collector. Um, and uh, it says that Levi is the son of Alphaeus. Well, there's another guy that's the son of Alphaeus in this list, but it's not clear that he's uh, the brother of that one. That's James, uh, uh, another James. But uh, the fact that they're not placed side by side indicates to me they're not brothers. They just have fathers of the same name, probably a common name. Um, and then uh, who else do we have in the list of disciples? After Matthew or Levi, we have the James I just mentioned. Uh, he doesn't appear. Neither does Matthew, by the way, in the book of John by name. Uh, in fact, the rest of these that I'm going to list do not appear in John's gospel by name, but they do in all the other, almost all the other passages. Uh, then we have Labius Thaddeus or Labius Thaddeus, uh, depending on how the accent is uh, pronounced. We have him, and uh, I don't have any footnotes by his name. And then we have this uh, one, Simon the Canaanite. Now, just look at that for a second. That's in verse 4, Simon the Canaanite. So what is that? what does that mean, the Canaanite? Well, does anybody have a King James Version here? Yes, sir. How does it spell that, C-A-N-A-A-N? So it sounds from the King James Version like he is a Canaanite, like the Old Testament kind of Canaanite. 
but that's not quite correct. And then if you look at it, you would say, well, Cana, because in the New King James it's spelled C-A-N-A-I-T-E, so you might say, well, he's a, he, is a, he is an ite from Cana, C-A-N-A, Cana of Galilee. You might think, okay, well, that makes sort of sense. Uh, maybe he's from there. Remember, remember the Lord had a wedding there that he was at and uh, changed water to wine and so on. Um, or it could be that the word should be the Canaanian, Canaanian, you know, like Michiganian, Michiganite, uh, different ways of saying that that people understand. Um, but it seems that the several resources that I looked at uh, said that this is not a toponym from Cana, nor a Canaanite like, uh, you know, an, uh, an Amorite or a Jebusite or all those Canaanites that were there in the Old Testament, but from the Aramaic language, which means an enthusiast or a zealot. Okay, a zealot. And this works nicely with the Luke passage, which calls this guy Simon the Zealot. Okay? And you have the same in Acts chapter 1, Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were a political party that would be like a, oh, I could say a nationalist, populist, you haven't heard those terms lately, have you, uh, kind of party that didn't want Rome's occupation over the nation of Israel. And so he had come out of that uh, movement and come to faith in the Lord. But that's an interesting little detail, I think, that can throw people. I never knew that before I did this study. I just thought, Canaanite, well, he's a Canaanite. But that doesn't make sense because he should be a Jew if he's in this list. And in fact, uh, he, it does appear that's the case with this uh, Simon the Zealot or the Canaanite. Yes, um, and then we have finally the last, and in this case, uh, I'll say the last and the least, all right, not, not uh, the other way around like we sometimes say, but Judas Iscariot, and Judas Iscariot is the betrayer. He's listed in, uh, well, all the, all the lists, not all the lists, I should say, all the Gospels, but he's not in all the lists. John doesn't have him in the list of disciples in the beginning of his um, book, uh, and obviously in the book of Acts, there's a little section about him, but uh, obviously an infamy, so to speak. So those are the, the 12. And I didn't really think much more about this at this point because I moved on to the mission that they were assigned, but I would say you might just pause and, and ask yourself how privileged it was for them to be in that list of 12, we'll say 11 legit disciples. Uh, that's a very small number in world history. And it was some expanded by Jesus' brothers and other um, followers of his who uh, became the core 120 people who were at the upper room after the crucifixion and then beyond into the beginning of the church. So, but th that's a great privilege, I think. Uh, I think you would agree. I think we should think about ourselves being chosen to be disciples in the same kind of way, not, you know, kind of Simon Peter level, but we're chosen by God to follow him. Jesus says that clearly in John chapter 6, that he has bestowed his grace upon each one who believes in him. Marvelous, isn't it? 
Marvelous to think that God has set his love upon you, that he wants you to be his follower, that you have exercised faith in him when you didn't before. I mean, you lived in sin or whatever. Even if you grew up in a Christian home, you know, you had to battle through the flesh to decide to follow God through Christ. We all had that as, uh, as people who came up in, the, in a Christian home and others who did not come up in a Christian home did not have that, that particular struggle perhaps, but one similar to it. But it's a privilege. And uh, I think to count ourselves, uh, not maybe in this list, but if you think of it, you're in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's a good enough list for me to be on. I'll take it. <laughs> so here's the list of disciples. All right, now the mission itself. And uh, we won't get much uh, beyond this uh, this evening. We won't, might not even finish it, but it's in verses 5 through 15. It says, These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now let me just uh, contrast that with two passages of Scripture for you. Number one is Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, the Lord says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them whatsoever to observe whatsoever I've commanded you. So there's clearly a major difference. The Lord says in 28, Go to all the nations. Here in chapter 10, he says, Don't go to the nations, the Gentiles. Don't even go to the Samaritans. Doesn't he say that? He's very restrictive on this command. Go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is not the Great Commission. This is a miniature commission, if you will. Actually, we could call this the Kingdom Commission. The Kingdom Commission is a good name for this, which I just coined uh, before your very ears. Um, I was trying to think of a name earlier, and it just has come to me now what to call this. This is a kingdom commission because he tells them, go preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we don't have the same message today because why? Because the kingdom of heaven is not immediately at hand like it was when Jesus was present on the earth. The kingdom was present then because the king was right in their face. He was right there in front of them. He was standing there and basically offering the kingdom of God to them that was promised in the Old Testament um, prophets and uh, psalms and everything else. But let me mention also another passage of Scripture, and that's in Acts chapter 1. Remember in Acts chapter 1, you must, Jesus said, wait until the power of the Spirit has come upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses where? Judea, Samaria, well, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Remember that? There, he specifically says, Jerusalem and Judea, and he says, Samaria, which he says, don't go to here. And then he says, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the book of Acts is the story of how that commission was fulfilled, how the Great Commission happened. And you see, um, you know, the disciples going to Jerusalem, preaching there, thousands of people saved, Judea, that area, then they go to Samaria, many people are saved there. And then 
Acts 10 and 11 teach us how Peter is going to the Gentiles and opening the door of faith to the Gentiles. So, and then, of course, the Apostle Paul goes everywhere. And that's the whole book of Acts. That's the layout of it. That's not this, though. I'm trying to get that across to you. This is the Kingdom Commission. It's a little bit different. It's just for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is, a, this is an in-the-family thing, in the family, in the Jewish family kind of thing. So um, the disciples are told to go just to these places. Now, this is important for a number of reasons. One, just so we don't get confused. Another is that those, there are those who take from this passage a mandate to heal and to cast out demons. They say, aha, the Lord sent his disciples to heal and to cast out demons. What they forget is the Lord sent his disciples to heal and cast out demons and to preach the kingdom of of heaven is at hand and to do that only to Jews. You can't strip out some favorite features of this commission for yourself and say, well, I'll, I think we should do those. I think we should do the healing and, and uh, you know, the casting out demons. And well, preaching the kingdom of God, well, that's, that's like preaching the gospel. We'll just transform that into preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And, but we're not going to do it just to the Jews. You see how that twists that passage around. It sounds great. I mean, they, look, Jesus told him to go and heal and all that, and so that's what we should do too. But that also has another problem, and that is that it gets kind of emphasizes something that the Lord is not really emphasizing. The main mission of the disciples, as was the main mission of Jesus, was to preach. The healing, miraculous ministries were a Um, side dish. They were meant to authenticate and bolster the message of the preaching of the gospel. They were not meant to be the center focus of that message. Here's the message they were to preach. As you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom has come near to the nation in the person of their Messiah King. And so if they're preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand, how must the audience respond? And what do you think the disciples are going to tell them? Okay, in light of the kingdom of heaven being at hand, how do you think you should respond? And the disciples would answer with what? What would they answer? if, If they went and they preached in a new city, kingdom of heaven is at hand. Somebody raises their hand in the audience and say, okay, Philip or John or James, what do I need to do about that? What would the disciple say to them? What do I need to do about that? The summary statement here doesn't say specifically, but we know exactly the answer to my question or the answer to that audience member's question from the Gospel of Matthew. The called for response is exactly exactly right, exactly what was said earlier in the gospel, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So when you preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's drawn near, the only appropriate response for a potential subject of that kingdom is to repent. That's it. That's the summation 
of it. Matthew 3, 2 says that, repent because the kingdom is at hand. Matthew 4, 17 says that, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist is preaching repentance, a baptism of repentance. He tells people to bear fruits worthy of repentance and Jesus does the same. And so you have here in one compact package, let's see, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Did I have that right? Seven words, uh, two, four, six, seven. You have in this message a message, first of all, of joy and hope. I can think of it. I can say to you not that the kingdom of heaven is immediately at hand, but it is coming. And you would say, hallelujah, get me out of this political division and mess and hatred and all of that. I want the kingdom of God, which is going to come on earth, and it's not going to look like the current government situation we have now, not at all. You would say, hallelujah, joyful, praise, thanksgiving to God for that hope that we have. And that is part of the gospel. Part of the good news is that Jesus will restore the earth to a right state before God, a state of moral rectitude before God, and he will rule the kingdoms of men using his people to reign and rule with him. And so it's a message of joy, but it's also a message of conviction because, if I could say, maybe take us back to Psalm 2, when you have the kind of upheaval in the political situation that is displayed there. It's just the same as it is today. We will not have this man to rule over us. Cast their bonds away from us, they say. What does Psalm 2 say? O kings of the earth, be wise. Kiss the son, lest he become angry at you. In other words, do homage to the son. Bow down before him. Repent of your sins. That's where it's a convicting message because the subjects of the kingdom or potential subjects had to deal with their sin, which separated them from their God. And this is why saying no to the gospel is not just like saying you know, no to the second helping of dessert. Saying no to the gospel is a high crime and a misdemeanor against the God of the universe. That's like saying, we will not have this man to rule over us. Remember that parable in the Gospels where the Lord said a kingdom, a king went away to a far country to receive a kingdom for himself and to return? When he returned, he said, as for those that did not want me to rule over them, what did he say? Slay them. They're not going to enter into my kingdom. I cannot have that kind of rebellion in my kingdom. And so it's a convicting message because if you don't get right with the king, you're not going to be in his kingdom. That seems to be extraordinarily clear to me from the message of the scriptures. You must repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then the Lord gives them, he has given them already this authority. In verse 8, he says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. If somebody were to say to you, you know, Philip, how do I know that what you're saying is right? Well, if old Philip went around and raised up a few dead people, and healed a few lepers and a bunch of other people with cancer and muteness and, and all, you know, blindness and everything and cast out some demons, do you think you might start to believe that he is 
the messenger of God and has a message of God? You might. You might. You might should believe him. You should believe him. Cast out the demons. And then he says this, and I think we'll close with this at the end of verse number 8. So they were to use the power that Jesus gave them to the full. The message was, of course, as I said, it was the main course. The miracles were the proof that the main course was real. And they were to give everything they could. They had received freely, and now they were to distribute it freely. It's kind of a strange, um, a kind of a, uh, an interesting thing. The Lord gave them this power, and they could multiply that as many times as they wanted to use it, as, as it seemed fitting to be used. So he gave them the power to raise a dead person, and they could do that 5, 10, 15, 20 times. I don't know how many times they did that. That's That's incredible. They got, they received freely from the Lord and they distributed and distributed and distributed like the widow's oil. It never ran out. They just kept on giving because they had freely received. You know how many times you can give out the gospel and you'll never run out of the gospel? You'll never run out of giving out the love of God. You'll never run out. Now, we don't have the miraculous power, but, you know, as long as you have a mouth to speak and a tongue to articulate words and breath to push the words out of your you know, vocal cords, you can give the gospel. You received it once, you can give it a million times. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that is. Freely you've received, freely give. That is what they were to do. And also I think the word freely indicates that they were not to charge for their uh, services, if you will, you know. You can't go, and we're going to see this here. You know, the Lord said, look, don't take money. You're just going to trust that they're going to provide for you as you go. Somebody's going to put you up in their house and give you a meal here and there, and you're going to be able to be fine. You don't have to charge money for your services. It's not like, you know, $100 to raise a dead person and $30 to cast out a demon. You know, you have your little menu of prices. (laughs) They don't have that. They freely give. They give abundantly. And uh, that's what we can do as Christians. That's one of the things that I um, feel convicted about uh, when we do the work that we do on a volunteer basis for Bibles International. We're not going to charge a a penny for a Bible. We're going to give it. We've received it. We're going to give it freely. So, And then sometimes that actually costs us. We have had a couple of supporters give us finances so we can buy computer equipment and other software and things for the work. But we're going to bear that charge in the ministry here and uh, personally so that we can give the Bible freely to these dear ones who don't have it in their own language. And so we've freely received. Let's freely give of what God has given to us. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this list of disciples, for the powers that were given to them, for the message that they had to preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand for the response uh, that they called for, which was repentance, and that they were called to freely give because they had freely received. The Lord gave, and they were able to give out of that abundance without ever running out. Help us to remember that in ourselves, that we have an abundance, and I pray that we all do for every good work 
and that you'll multiply the seed sown that we sow, that uh, we'd have more and more to be able to honor and glorify you with. We don't even understand maybe what that all means. Some of us listening to this message may not grasp the, the implications of that for our own lives, but I pray that by and by we will. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I ran out of time before I ran out of notes, which is always good. You always want to have more food on the table uh, than <laughs> so you don't run out. Um, we'll come back and look at this, Lord willing, some more Matthew chapter 10 next time on uh, Sunday evening, I believe. I haven't uh, thought that far ahead yet, but I think that's what we'll do. So, okay. All right, very well. Well, uh, thank you for coming. Those of you that are online, thank you for participating as well tonight. We're going to wrap up this uh, edition of the Fellowship Bible Church Prayer Meeting and Bible Study and have a little fellowship. Trust that you'll uh, enjoy a little bit of fellowship as well. Uh, Vincent, uh, I want to just say congratulations. Uh, very good to, uh, to hear about that new employment coming. And uh, I trust that uh, the Lord will bless that. And bless all of you tonight. Good night. Amen.